You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Hey there. Have you been looking to expand your impact and reach? Then you must learn to tell your story. Don't know where to start or how to begin? The Ultimate Speaker's Guide will walk you through what you need to know step-by-step in a faster way. Click the link in the description to get started. Welcome to the Bridge to You podcast, hosted by yours truly, Monique Russell, where we focus on promoting Black unity worldwide through conversations that help us understand ourselves and each other. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Bridge to You podcast. I'm your host, Monique Russell. Today, in my guest chair, I have the founder and senior consultant of the Human Institute, Miss Pamela S. Perkins. She also goes by PS, and we're going to talk a little bit about that, but she is an inclusion and diversity specialist, a professor of communication studies, an author of The Art and Science of Communication, Tools for Effective Communication in the Workplace, and a contributing writer to various publications. She's the founder of the communication staircase model, which is something that I find so intriguing, so exciting to jump in. Ladies and gentlemen that are listening, I just want to jump out of my seat to be hosting this woman who is going to bring such fresh approaches to how we address societal issues with the art and science of communication. Welcome, Pamela, to the show. Thank you so much. And I am very excited to share my passion. Uh, you, you got me on a good day because I need to talk about this. Or should I say I need to communicate about this? So I'm excited to be here on the Monique Russell show. Yes. Oh, my goodness. So before I jump into my first question that I normally ask all my guests, I want to know, what does the S stand for and why or how did you generate PS as your stage name? Okay. Well, actually, it's a moniker that I use to kind of bring in the whole nuances of communication. You know, when we sign a letter that we used to write and I still write letters and we have that PS down the bottom or which stands for postscript. Okay. One more thing to say. That's what postscript stands for. One more thing to say. And I was like, oh, my name is P.S. I might as well use P.S. Because I always, always have one more thing to say. And so uh, as a writer, I use P.S. The S actually stands for my middle name, which is Shekinah or Shekinah. uh, And I use that mainly as my performing arts name, Shekinah Perkins or Shekinah Perkins. So anyway, as it all wrapped together, P.S. Perkins became, uh, again, the brand that I use in most of my writing and professional speaking. Look at that already. Like there is a 
message and a meaning in mm-hmm. everything, everything, starting with your name. Yes. Goodness and gracious. It's, it's interesting because I have to fight about that a lot of times. I have to, you know, kind of insist with people, even though it's on books and it's on articles and I've published with it for a long time, I get a lot of pushback for that. You know? Really? Uh, yeah. It's like, well, why can't I just call you, you know, Pam? Well, first of all, I don't go by Pam. Uh, I'm already little enough. At least I used to be. And it's like, I don't want the diminutive Pam. My family does that on occasion. No problem. But I've always professionally gone by Pamela or P.S. with my friends, sometimes Shakina. So anyway, professionally, when I'm with people and I'll say, oh, no, I'd like for you to use P.S. to introduce me to the stage or into the classroom or as the author of this book, as you can read on the cover of the book. Right. And they're like, oh, okay," And they really seem to be taken back. Uh, it really isn't a gender issue. Sometimes people will use initials because of gender uh, just to be more, mm. you know, broad in terms of how people may see them. But for me, it's just, that's my name, P.S. And I enjoy it. Wow. So you already brought up some really good nuggets already and how mm-hmm. the perception, that interpersonal communication and the perception can start just with our name. Mm-hmm. So. Let me jump right into my first question, which is something that I ask all my guests. I love to ask my guests this because they just seem to be world travelers and have a love for traveling. If you could choose to be anywhere in the world, where would you choose to be and why? Well, I will say that I would choose to be where I am now in Washington, D.C. for many reasons. One is close to my mother who lives a few hours away when I used to live many hours away from her. And so that was one of the reasons to come back to the East Coast is in between New York, Philly, uh, Boston. I can get to North Carolina where I'm from easily, Atlanta, the whole Eastern seaboard, which I am reacquainting myself with. But in addition to that, it is the hotbed of everything that we look at concerning issues of inclusion and equity and the need to have uh, ownership of stories. And, you know, everybody just kind of comes here because everyone believes that they, they have a piece of it. And we all do have a piece of it, but it is a piece. It is not all of it. And so I think I should really, I am settling into understanding that, of course, being on the beach in Jamaica or visiting Amsterdam and some of the other places I've gone have have given me, have fed my soul and my spirit, South Africa, other places, but there's a work to do. And I feel that I was brought here to do that work from this location outward. And so that's why I'm here and I prefer to be here. Wow. So the work is driving you and family is driving you. Yes. And even within all of the experiences that you've had traveling outside of the U.S., Mm -hmm. you still find yourself drawn and driven to Washington, D.C. I think that is so powerful. Thinking about the equity and inclusion that you mentioned just now, I read somewhere that you had shared about intercultural communication Mm -hmm. and intercultural communication being the highest form of communication. Can you talk a little bit more about what that means? Well, as a communications studies individual, I go by the title of human communication uh, practitioner. 
human communication. And my company is Human Communication Institute. And that's communication with no S, please, no S. Uh, oftentimes because of uh, the drive in terms of technological communications, uh, everyone wants to stick an S on everything. No, communication studies is the studies of human interaction. And it has been underplayed for many, many years because of the development of technology and social media and other forms of communication, which I don't take away from. And, I, and, and a part of the work that I do is in mass comm. So I get that. But more than the move towards technological communication practices is that primal basic. We got to learn how to get along and to communicate with one another face-to-face -face, in our communities, in our homes, et cetera. So intercultural, when I created the communication staircase model, part of it was because when you study various disciplines, you go over here for this piece, you go over there for this piece, you go over there for this piece. That's everybody's discipline. You got these instructors teaching this and this instructor teaching that. And oftentimes they'll kind of like, well, this is my niche and this is my niche and this is my niche. Well, many years ago, I said to myself, well, yeah, but doesn't this all blend together? Isn't there a methodology behind this that obviously is a part of the school of what it is that we do? But I didn't find anybody teaching it that way that would help me to express it and explain it from an inside out process. So I have a term that I call in word, word, out word. word. Yes, word. So my model goes from intra personal intra, okay, everybody knows what intra, internal, self-talk, self-communication, intra into all the way up the staircase, which I won't take the time to go through all seven steps. You can read about that or ask me, but the top of the staircase model, which is seven, seven types of communication that we all engage in on a daily basis, everybody. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people will say, well, I haven't done that today. No, let me, let me ask you, did you do this today? Oh yeah. Well, you did that today. I mean, it's, it's, we can't escape it. It's a part of our regular life. Now, if we're totally living in isolation as we are doing COVID, we're still experiencing that through our virtual reality. So eventually we get up to that intercultural step, which I consider to be, and I'm pretty sure many practitioners consider to be the highest form because I got to make room for a whole lot of realities in that, on that step, a whole lot of realities. Mm -hmm. See, on that first step, I'm just making room for my reality. But it is on that first step that I determine who I am and how I see the world. And so perception, perspective, self-image, self-concept, self-worth, all of that comes from that very first step. And then I go from there and I create this nonverbal image that I have. And then I create my interpersonal relationships and then into group, which starts with family and we go all the way up. So I often say to people when I deal with diversity issues, because I come at it focused from communication, there are a lot of different wonderful diversity practitioners out there, and there are lots of formulas for teaching diversity. I stay in my lane, yes. and my lane is communication, yes. because I find it to be a nuance that is approachable to everybody. Everybody has communication. I don't have to offend you to get you to understand that, that statement, that concept that you're using or that language that you're using that belongs to you offends me in a way 
that I cannot take ownership of it. Mm. I can't take ownership of that. And if we're going to sit at this table, this round table and work this out or work in this, this cubicle together, or, you know, uh, swipe these groceries together or whatever it is that we're doing, then you have to understand that your intrapersonal communication has determined how you are dealing with me interculturally. Yes. And and that's just the way it is. Because why? You take you wherever you go. Okay. So many things that I resonate in that (laughs) as well. And I just want to make sure that our audience who is listening understand that when you said inward, outward, you were using the word W-O-R-D, inward and outward. And I love this because, I mean, the inside out approach is totally what what I represent, what I'm in alignment with. Mm -hmm. And the whole aspect of all of these different components of ourselves, you know, being in one framework or one model, I think of it in the same way when I think about emotional intelligence, Mm -hmm, like all of the aspects, it's pretty much the same thing. And Mm -hmm. it's just like, you know, those aspects have been taken out and isolated, but it's really not. It's a comprehensive system. And when you get into this intercultural portion, I love your staircase. And, And I love the fact that when we get to this intercultural level of connecting with others, We've already done that work on ourselves, but we Mm -hmm. cannot get to that intercultural state if we don't do step one, if we don't do, you know, what's inside of us. You know, this show is all about understanding and Black unity, especially among Black cultures. We find that sometimes we're not really uh, exposed to the diversity of Blackness, and we, or mm-hmm. if we are exposed to the diversity of Blackness, we may not be as inclusive as Black mm-hmm. people. And so mm-hmm. when you talk about this intercultural space, it's like, okay, let's really figure out now us. Let's start on the inside. Let's really go within. So mm-hmm. just jumping off from that, I mean, I really want to move into this intercultural communication around hair, Because we see so many things play out in this space. I mean, there's colorism, there's, there's a lot of different things that play out among black cultures that are trauma responses, but Mm -hmm. I want to talk about hair for a moment. And the reason why I want to talk about hair is because you talked about this intercultural perspective and I see the conversations around hair happening so often in our communities here is also a form of communication. Mm -hmm. I heard you talk about how sometimes we carry these residues, we carry these biases, you know, with our skin and our hair. What were some of your residues about skin and hair? Okay. So let me unpack it just a little bit. As people of African-American descent, and when I say African-American, particularly, I'm talking about people who journeyed here through the slave trade. And as a result, became very mixed people of the miscegenation that was going on on the plantations, et cetera, et cetera, as well as Native Americans and others. As a result, we are very mixed people. Our hair is very dynamic in terms of the tightness of his curl to the looseness of his curl. We cannot deny the fact that we have been given preferences for what is considered beauty and what is considered smart, what is considered lovely, what is considered everything. We, we can't deny that. And as a result of that, 
I call it drinking the Kool-Aid. And I'm not the only one. I think sometimes some of my students from the past have taken it and run with it. I don't know. But anyway, and I use C-O-O-L. Uh, you know, drinking the Kool-Aid of enforced indoctrination of self-hatred, basically, is what it comes down to. Now, that doesn't mean that because I dye my hair or I wear pink hair or blue hair or silver hair or I wear weave or I wear whatever it is that adorns you in a way that uplifts your self-worth is very important. So I don't take exception to any of that. I, there were times when, I mean, I grew up with the strength straightening comb just like everybody else in my age range, okay? And then went on to relaxers, et cetera. But I remember because of the diversity in my family, my hair was very long when I was growing up. And I am probably the darker hue of my family members. And my mother's light, my father's darker. And I kind of took after my father's side. But my mother always made me feel beautiful. And she always called me to this day, her chocolate doll. So between my mother and father, there was nothing, you know, but my brothers and sisters used to pick a little bit, but I already knew I was beautiful. So it wasn't an issue, right? <laughs> so, but when I hit the world and I started noticing in high school, especially, and as I got to college, people would say, oh, you know, the girl, you know, the one with the long hair, the dark skinned girl with the long hair, you know, the dark skinned girl with the long hair, you know, the one that got the long hair. And I'm like, hold up. I was really taken aback, not because I didn't know, but because it, we had drunk so much Kool-Aid. And I'm thinking, so I literally, one day, and I was with a gentleman uh, who happened to be a fraternity brother who, you know, enjoyed, I guess, the length of my hair, along with the other attributes that I was bringing to the table. And one day I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I went to the hairdresser that my mother had and I said, cut it. And she said, oh, you're going to finally cut your hair. I said, yeah, I'm going to finally cut my hair. She said, okay, well, where you want it? And she started picking it up and, you know, here, I'm like, no, 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 go up here, go up, go up. And she said, no, wait, wait, you cutting your hair off? I said, yes, I'm cutting my hair off. What? I didn't go bald, but I went almost bald. Oh my goodness. Okay, wait. Why? Why? What was the, why did you decide to cut because, it? Because I just got tired of the the association of my beauty mm. and my blackness having to be qualified and quantified based on my hair. I was just like, something's wrong with this. And so I was a little drastic. Hey, I, I won't say I wasn't, but I just felt like I had to make a statement. And when I saw my boyfriend again after that he was quite shocked because it wasn't something I asked it wasn't something I asked permission for it was something that I felt I needed to do yeah now after that I grew back parts of it I still relaxed it for a while it's been several years since I actually got involved with sister locks out on the west coast and I will uh, give a shout out to sister uh, Joanne Cornwell who is the the founder and the creator of the sister locks pattern and she was in San Diego region and I hooked up and I'm like, hey, and when my first lactician said, oh, no, no, your hair, your hair is a little too fine, fine. for that. And I'm like, no, it'll work. Do it. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I can't guarantee, you know, and you're going to still pay me what you're going to pay. I'm like, sure, go ahead. We can do this. And, and actually I've had it locked ever since then, except for about a time when I went 
through uh, a, a medical situation where my hair changed and I had to yeah. wear wigs for a while. And then when it was done, it was like, okay, let's go back. And I actually keep it short because people will meet me and say, oh, you know, your hair will grow long, long. I said, my hair grows, my hair grows incredibly fast. When we allow our natural hair yes. to do what natural hair does, it grows faster than most people's, literally. And so, I mean, locks were down my back, but I kept cutting it because of, well, I don't, I don't want to do a whole lot of work, first and foremost. And then secondly, for, for the type of audiences that I was going in front of, uh, particularly at a time, uh, it wasn't that long ago, 90s, where people were still like, mm, you know, even our people. Resistant to locks, yes. And so it was like, and even my mother would say, well, okay, all right, as long as you keep it like that, you know, because the indoctrination is deep. Oh my God. I can relate to this so much. First of all, your sister locks is awesome. And I can relate to it so much because for the longest time I wanted to grow locks and I, I don't know, I think it probably took about three or four years, but it didn't actually happen until I did a vision board. I did a vision board in a group session, women aspiring together to succeed was the name of the group. And then three months later, I started my log journey. And before that, my hair would not grow beyond my, um, my shoulder, my neck to my shoulder. The minute I started locking my hair, it was down to my butt and yes. I had to cut it and it just, you know, it just keeps growing when yes. we, when we actually leave it alone and let the energy flow the way it needs yes. to flow. So I can yes. definitely relate to that. So you're, you're keeping it short now, but will you, will you ever think about growing it long? I Probably not. And again, that's just a personal issue of, I don't feel like messing with it yes. <laughs> too much. I'm not, a, I, I'm really not uh, well, I guess sometimes people, we used to call it foo-foo. I'm not that type of person. I'm just, you know, on the road, getting done what I need to get done. Yes. Uh, I want to speak for just one second on something you brought up, and I'm going to tie it into this. When you were talking about emotional intelligence, I cannot tell you. There, there's a term that we use, which you may be aware of, called emotional contagion. Mm-hmm. And uh, what I say to most people is that, you know, you're so afraid of getting a cold. We're so afraid of getting COVID right now. I mean, here we go in the virtual world. And or we're, we're very uh, cautious about that. And I have been extremely cautious to the point where I haven't seen my mother in almost a year. And she's oh, just wow. down the road. Right. Because of her situation. Yes. And uh, and I haven't allowed certain people in my life because of my own pre-existing issues. So. When we talk about emotional contagion and people say, okay, well, you know, back up or, I'm, you know, you got a cold or this and that, you know, we're contagious every day. We're contagious all day long, but how are we contagious? Mainly through our emotions. So emotional contagion is something that's very real. You can walk in a room and feel the energy. We call that the communication climate. What is the climate of your organization? What is the climate of your family in terms of its space? And so Emotional contagion is something that is very real, something that we need to connect with on a very intellectual, uh, emotional, mental, and spiritual level. What am I bringing to the environment? So with my hair, for instance, when I show up and people see that my hair is healthy and cared for, and I'm happy with it, and I don't need to do anything but allow it to be clean because sometimes people get the misunderstanding that it's not clean. It's like, well, excuse me, 
you know, <laughs> and, and, uh, and, you know, I, I, I just got out of the shower with my hair. So it's emotionally contagious for people to see someone happy in their naturalness. Mm -hmm. It's emotionally contagious. Just like when people see you in your sadness or your difficulties or whatever it happens to be, we're all emotionally contagious every single minute of the day with ourselves and with others. And we have to determine what type of contagion we're giving off. For me, I am trying to exude the fact that I am black and proud and I have changed the way that I look at the vernacular that I've been given to speak. And I've determined what words work for me and which words don't work for me. Yes. So I know as a woman, I'm not a minority. I don't use it. I know that I'm not a second class citizen. I don't use it. I know that I, and I really don't even use the word minority yet, hardly at all. I might use culture. I don't use subculture. I use co-culture. I've actually made a determination to flip and take out some of the words that have been used to disparage who I am as a woman, as a Black woman. Um, as one going into uh, becoming an elder. And so I'm like, okay, let me start to examine my lexicon because words are real. They're mental units of energy. They're real. They're as tangible as this pen that I just picked up in my hand. They are tangible. In the beginning was the word. And that is the power and the essence of the human experience on this planet. And if you miss that, which most of us have, you get what you get. The most important word that you could say in life or words that you could say in life are the words that follow, I am. You are what? I am angry. I am frustrated. I am upset. I am beautiful. I am smart. I am going someplace. I am overcoming. I am strong. Mm -hmm. And we've heard the philosophies of speak as if it already is. I'm, yes, you can combine that. that this truth has existed Forever. For years, for eons. <laughs> yeah, so so mindfulness and all of the things that we talked about before that was intrapersonal communication. We're not inventing anything new. From the sages, we're not inventing anything new. The Buddha, the Christ, uh, Nietzsche, all the rest of them, the, the, the Socrates, the Descartes, all of them have said the same thing forever in different patterns in different ways. Mm -hmm. uh, I listen to the voices that talk to me and I have the voice that, I have answered to in terms of my own spirituality and my own journey, and it belongs to me and it's very personal and I don't have to disprove any aspect of yours in order for that to be mine mm -hmm. and to be true to mine, which is love one another. Mm -hmm. So with that, I have to understand when we, when we grew up and they say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. And I say, liar, liar, pants on fire. That's a lie. They, they hurt, they hurt. Oh gosh, this right here. Oh, this is so deep. This is so deep. And I love the way that you are bringing the spirituality aspect into this conversation. Cause I think so many times that piece is missing. And a lot of times it's just taken from a Christianity standpoint, but it's so much bigger than that. It's so much more connected than that. And when you said words, are mental units of energy yes that really 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 stood out and it just brought for me this whole connection of how powerful our words are and mm -hmm. and what what word are we using 
to edify ourselves, to edify each other, to uplift ourselves, to bring others down. When you said you don't use words like minority, subculture, I resonate with that a lot, but how did you begin to step into this new lexicon that you have chosen to decide for yourself? Well, a couple of things. One, let me give credit where credit is due. Many, many years ago, I had I heard Dr. Michael Beckwith of the Agape Church, I think is his church in Southern California, say that words are mental units of energy. And I've always used that. I have several gurus from various patterns of living that I've, you know, picked up an understanding of word power. And I've been able to add it to my discipline because it's what I do. And I'm like, oh my God, thank you for these gifts these kisses of, of understanding and knowledge and wisdom. So one thing, and I might have mentioned this on the show that you listened to me before, the English language is not my language. It was never developed to lift me up as a person of African descent. If anything, maybe the opposite. Wow. Okay? It was never meant to do that. So why am I looking for the King James English to make me feel beautiful when the King James English has done what it's done throughout its history, wherever it's done it. Okay. I'll leave that to the history books. That's deep. That's right. So I'm not mad at you. I I need English. I live here. (laughs) You know, I, I live here. I need to be able to speak English and we all to a certain extent definitely need to, but that's not stopping me from learning Swahili. Yeah. That's not stopping me from learning Tweet. That's not stopping me from learning anything that would help to uplift my understanding of who I am as a West African uh, and at my West African ancestry. Have I taken the time to do it? No, not yet. (laughs) Not yet. Uh, And and I I just have to be honest because I've spent quite a bit of time, you know, because I've got to learn Spanish. Uh, Maybe I need to get a little Chinese in there. Uh, No, uh, some Japanese, some Ichiwa, whatever. See, because the, the world the world will push you in a way that says, because of the domination of certain cultural groups. Okay, I get it. I'm not mad at it. Uh, I've been watching Korean dramas and stuff and you know, learning little smatterings of this and that because languages are beautiful in all their form, but they're created for the people that they're created for. Exactly. That's a fact. That right there. I think everybody listening, did you, did you catch it? Did you catch it? Did you catch it? The language is a driver. The language, the purpose of its creation is potent in us understanding as a community who we are. Yes. It is so interesting to me. I've had many experiences trying to understand how I got to be. When we're born, someone looks down and says, okay, boy, girl. Then they start with the pink and they start with the blue and then all of the labels so then we go into the good hair and the bad hair, okay? And then we go into the dark skin and the light skin and the, 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 the. okay, I get it. We, we are a species where we must quantify and qualify using words, but they always stop short of the spiritual essence of who we really are and what we're here to do. And as a result, I had to look at the English language and I knew that there were certain words, especially based on my growing up in the South, that I would never embrace. I would not, for me, I wouldn't embrace the N word. I wouldn't embrace the B word. I wouldn't embrace the whole word. I wouldn't embrace any of those terms that don't necessarily relate to my experience. Mm -hmm. Now you have to do that for yourself. If what you are saying is working for yourself and building you up and your people, if it's lifting you up, I'm all for it. 
But you know in your heart of hearts if it is or if it is not. And if you have determined, I don't care. It's what everybody's saying. It's what everybody's doing. That's how we roll it. Okay, I get it. This is the world that we're living in today. And I understand that, but some of us are called to greater responsibility. And I've been called to a greater responsibility over my mouth. So let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable. I've been called to do that. And it's not easy. And do I fuss and, and, and scream and lie and, and, and cuss? And yeah, I do all that sometimes for sure. Ask anybody that knows me. <laughs> <laughs> Because I was, I was feeling some kind of way a little earlier today having a discussion with somebody. So I'm not always where I know I need to be, but I'm always willing and desiring to go there. Listen, we are all residents of our residue. So when I give you a definition of communication, communication happens whenever meaning is assigned to behavior or the residue of behavior, right? Zushner taught me that many years ago, Edward Zushner. And then I kind of started working with it and coining it. And no matter what book I pick up on communication, that's the one that's going with me. And that's the one that my clients and my students are learning. Communication happens whenever meaning is attributed or assigned to a behavior. Behavior, why behavior? Because it's verbal and nonverbal. And for a lot of our children, it's particularly a lot of, uh, a lot of us living within the confines of community we don't want to accept that behavior is nonverbal behavior has consequences mm-hmm. that go into the greater society. Mm-hmm. And well, that's not my fault. That's I don't, you know, where you live in, where you live in. I'm not, I'm not in Ghana. I'm not in, you know, I'm not here. I'm not there. Now, communication, let me qualify this. Communication is always always appropriate or inappropriate, not good or bad. Mm-hmm. I speak African-American dialect, mm-hmm. what we have termed as Ebonics. Mm-hmm. When I go home, when I'm around my people, I use Ebonics. Mm-hmm. But somebody else is using Spanglish and somebody else is using Yiddish and somebody else is using Patois mm-hmm. and somebody else is using Gullah. What's wrong with mine? Nothing. Nothing. But you tell me it's bad. No, it's not bad. It's appropriate or inappropriate. So I don't go to grandmother and say, grandmother, you should not, girl, or my mother. I'll be getting up on, uh, you know, next week, middle of next week. When they say, I'm knocking you into the middle of next week. I mean, like, <laughs> we, we instead, I'll be like, somebody tell me what day it is. Somebody tell me what day it is. So, so no. So I go home and I say, mom, I'm finna go to the store. You, what, what you need? I use my Ebonics in, within my culture. But I've also appropriated the King James English to use it in a way that will allow me to compete with hyper-competitive people. Yes, I love that. I love it. I love it so much. And I know that this is something that our listeners have not encountered before because we do talk about the division among Black cultures. And we Mm -hmm. do talk about the way Black cultures oftentimes look down on African Americans, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. not understanding the true history and mm-hmm. not understanding the same, I guess, roles that language plays. You know, if we have patois or like you say, Gullah or 
whatever other language it is, it's the same thing when it comes to African-American cultural Ebonics. And so I love the way that you brought that up. And I love the way that you integrated everything around language in our conversation today, because this is where we can start. We can start not just with ourselves at the bottom of that staircase, but now when we get to that top level of the staircase, we're thinking about other people. And you have mentioned this throughout this entire conversation, Pamela, when you talk about, okay, if the word, if the language that you use and works for you, that's fine, but not just you, is it uplifting you and others? That's the piece that really stood out to me. Like, not just, is it uplifting me, but Mm -hmm. we have a responsibility individually and collectively to make sure that the words that we use are uplifting and they are transmitting that emotional contagion of positive energy and health yeah and health you know um let me say this when i say we are all residents of our residue the question becomes where are you living where are you living and when we say residue we're talking about all the memories and experiences and things that have happened to us and most of us spend a lot of time in the past bringing it forward or in the future Uh, Very few of us have learned how to be present, but even in our present, because the only present you really have, only gift you have is to be present in the present, right? And so a lot of times people are so busy dealing with their residue and forcing it out on other people. Why don't you think like this? Why don't you act like this? Why don't you be like this? This is a problem in our marriages with our children, et cetera, because everybody is a resident of their residue. Yeah. And when I figured that out, I was like, let me let these people off the hook. Let me let my mother off the hook. Let me let my dad off the hook. Let me let the, 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 the white people off the hook, the black people, the, the Chinese people. The, let me let, Because they can only be who they are until they want to be different than that for whatever reason. And that may be very self-serving. For me, it is self-serving for me to say, I need to clean up my communication in a way that fosters a residue that when I go into my memories, when I do think, when I do spend my day daydreaming, I'm not daydreaming about who did this to me and and what happened and I'm gonna get them and I'm gonna fight and we're gonna do, no. I'm daydreaming. I'm trying to pull up residue that is going to build and sustain and push me towards the goal that I have to get Mm. to. So we're all residents of our residue. We're all living in the language legacy, which is where I am today, working with language legacy. You so worried about leaving a house for somebody? You worried about leaving a car for somebody? You worried about leaving a donkey or a camel for somebody? Whatever it is that we have to leave, you need to leave words yes. that heal, Life. that grow, that support, because wealth is in the word. Mm-hmm. Health is in the word, right? Uh, truth is in the word. All these other accoutrements and all these other things around us, how long are you going to keep that? That's why when people win the lottery, sometimes they don't keep it too much because mm-hmm. they don't have a wealth mentality vocabulary, lexicon. So language legacy is the ability to generationally hand down words that are healing from generation to generation, lifting up, lifting up generation to generation. So language legacy is one of the areas that I'm really focused on today. In addition to diversity and going into the corporations and bringing intercultural as a way 
that doesn't put anybody off or make them feel uneasy. I'm just asking you to go into your own residue and look. I'm just asking you to look at your residue. And I'm going to give you some tools to do that. And I'm going to give you some interpersonal tools and some small group tools and eventually some intercultural tools because we're all doing this all the time. Let me clarify. You know, we're just doing it good or not in terms of all of those steps. We're there all the time. What are you bringing to the table? Mm. How is the communication climate? I know it's a lot. It, no, it. I love it's it. A lot. I love it. It, it, it. It's a lot, but it is everything. It is everything. What is not communication? What is not communication? See, you confuse talking and communication. Who's listening? But the mute communicate. You confuse hearing and listening, but the deaf listen. What are you doing? Just because you have the biological ability to utter sound and to hear, hear noise, you're not communicating and you're not listening until you learn to do so. Yes. And it's a very selfless thing. This look, I, ooh, I know. you know, listen, listen, whoo-wee, I want to run around and jump <laughs> up and down because Me too. Me too. <laughs> this right here is so life-giving. It is so empowering and so inspiring. Thank Almost you. like I just need just a moment of silence. You know how they say, can we have a moment of silence? I, I just want yes. a moment of silence for what you just dropped right here today. Because you have tapped into such deep spiritual aspects of our lives. And this whole goal of language legacy, passing down language that is uplifting to, from generation to generation. I promise you, this is not an angle that anyone has ever considered before. And I feel like those that are listening to this podcast, this is such a tangible step, a tangible action that they can begin to really say, you know what, even if you start with one word, with mm -hmm. one word, this is what I can do to eliminate something that's not uplifting and replace it with one word to pass yes. down from generation to generation. Because yes. a lot of times in our communities, we think of it and see it as funny or hilarious mm -hmm. to call our kids or families your old this, your old goat, your old that, you know, you know. <laughs> not realizing that they really are energy and mm -hmm. they carry on throughout our generation. So mm -hmm. as we begin to wrap up, I want to just highlight some of the things that really, really stood out for our listeners so that as they go back and listen to this episode and share this episode and have small group discussions about this episode, they're able to focus on these points. Spirituality is deep. It goes beyond just your biology. Like when mm -hmm. Pamela talked about having the ability to hear, it's not just that. It goes so much deeper. Word power. Words are energy sources. So be very intentional about the ones that you are sharing and the ones that you are using to uplift yourself and uplift other people. Emotional contagion, just like you're going to catch a cold, you could pass on negative energy. You could pass on sadness. You could pass on happiness. Choose to pass on something that's positive. Choose to pass on something that can help somebody else in their space of wealth and health. Yes. And also 
think about this from an inclusion and diversity standpoint. We have a lot of inclusion and diversity leaders, but let's now really think about it from a language perspective. The same approaches is not going to be what we use for everybody. It's not a one size fits all because as Pamela said, English really wasn't designed to be uplifting for us as African people. So we have to be intentional about examining that language, making sure that we identify words that are not uplifting, not perpetuating the same repeated cycles of energy that bring us down. And finally, and and more importantly, know that there are things that are appropriate and inappropriate. Start to remove those labels of good and bad because communication is all about the meaning that we assign to behaviors and that residue, the meaning that we assign to the behaviors that we notice and observe. Mm. Pamela. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Listen, you, you were listening. Girl, I need to give you a check mark, an A plus and everything else. Thank you. It was I beautiful. Will, I will accept it. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> before we go, is there anything you'd like to close us out with? And where can our guests find you if they want to bring you in to do some diversity and inclusion work? Okay. Let me give my website because a lot of what you heard today is on my website and I have a media page, which you will, our podcast will eventually end up there on the page, but go to HCI for human communication Institute dash or hyphen global with an AL.com HCI dash global.com. And actually you can email me from there. And of course, you can get in touch with Monique and Monique can get you in touch with me. You know, we're ready for this. I used to look around and say to myself, you know, God, why, why aren't people talking about language? Why aren't we really bringing this into the mix like we need to? And again, not just my language legacy is for everybody. It's for the African-American, it's for the Asian-American, it's for the Irish, it's for the uh, Jewish member of the community, it's for everybody. What are we handing down generationally to our children? Because a lot of the racism, sexism, homophobism, isms, a lot of that stuff is handed down generationally, a lot of it. And so the intrapersonal residue becomes tainted by what has been generationally handed down. So all of us have a stake in language legacy all of us. And lastly, it is a modem. It is a, a methodology for, for us to be able to look at issues of diversity as opposed to a blame game or historical who did what to whom, because all of that is relevant. But now let's start to look at solutions. And basically what it is, is a transformation of the mind, the thought, the word, because a lot of people are getting in trouble today for the words that they're speaking because yes. they're letting them come out of their residue without filters. Mm. And, and because they're afraid and they're mad and they're angry and they feel attacked. I get it. I understand it. Mm-hmm. But you bought me here. I didn't do this. So we have to wake up to the reality of what is and how are we as a nation going to move forward in a way that is healthy for all people yes. willing to make room for other people's reality and clean up their personal residue. How can I say that I love and I cannot love the person that is in front of me? And it doesn't matter who that person is. And I, and again, I don't mean like kissy, kissy, lovey, lovey. I mean, you are human. You are human. And I am a part of your humanity. 
And we are all spiritually connected, whether you believe it or not. Makes no difference to me. I believe it. And so I'm going to walk in the spirit of believing you. I am because you are. So it makes me careful about a lot of things. A lot of things. I appreciate today. I appreciate sharing this today. Thank you so much, Pamela. I know that this episode is one that will be listened to over and over. I know I will. And I just want to let our listeners know you can reach out to Pamela because listen, if your mind has not been shifted by listening to this, you weren't paying attention. So go back and re-listen. But as always, until next time, be well, make sure that you rate our show, leave us a five-star review, reach out to Pamela or myself and let us know how you appreciated this episode. Thanks for listening to the Bridge to You podcast. Visit ClaireCommunicationSolutions.com or connect with me on LinkedIn, Monique Russell, or Instagram at Clear Communication Coach. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.